so Whoa, 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 whoa uh, Clear out the room, I'm coming through They wanna see what I'm about Yeah, I got skills, do it for the thrill I'm on a paper route Extra, extra, read about it I'm today's trying to tap it Wow, what's going on? It's your boy Dolo J, and welcome to the Kicking the Dolo podcast, a sports podcast where we talk about football and basketball, past, present, and future, top five, top ten stats, and more. So, without further ado, let's get right into it, man. So, all right, man, this episode seven, we're going to go ahead and start off the episode talking about some college football things, a couple topics of college football, or really just one. And then we're probably going to touch on some games. So, everybody knows Friday, I think it was either Thursday or Friday, you know, Nick Saban. He was basically upset saying Texas A&M and bought all their players and, you know, they didn't end up getting the top recruiting class in the country. He also took a shot at Deion Sanders, basically saying they paid a million dollars for Travis Hunter to come attend their school, Jackson State University in Mississippi. So, um, briefly to briefly touch on that, man, um, when I was younger, I didn't really know too much about, you know, why certain players went to certain schools and stuff like that. I just thought, like, players went to certain schools basically because they thought they was going to get drafted higher. Now, once I became older and, you know, really start paying more attention, I started to, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily saying um, schools say bought players, but I know they gave them, like, it was it was stuff that came with, you know, just going with the school. Also, you know, other than just, like, the facilities and, you know, all types of other maybe charitable events and, you know, exposures and, you know, chance to talk to greats that came from the school. I, th- I I knew, I didn't, I wouldn't necessarily say like, like I wouldn't say they would give players money, but I always knew it was like extra incentives for, you know, basically going to the schools and stuff like that. Now the college football, the NCAA has, um, to the best of my knowledge, implemented something called an NIL, basically like allow players to be paid basically off their image and likeness. So uh, I don't think Nick Saban was a huge fan of that. I think he likes, you know, college football be traditional, you know, where the kids don't earn any money. You know, they just basically come, learn skills they need to learn, and, you know, and just go on to the next level. I, I mean, that's my take on it. That's my assumption. But at the same time, um, Jimbo Fisher did, you know, respond to basically say that, you know, they call Nick Saban Jesus, I guess. Well, not really Jesus, but, you know, St. Nick saying he's very holy and, you know, how he acts like God and stuff like that. But, you know, if they dig in his past, they'll see that some ungodly things will happen or some things that, you know, we wouldn't really associate with Coach Saban, you know, knowing that he's been a long-tenure coach at Alabama. And for really, for the most part, I haven't heard about any scandals or, you know, any um NCAA violations, things of that nature. Um, But, you know, Dion also, you know, responded to, I think it was on a podcast. I can't remember which podcast it was. I need to go back and look at it. But I, you know, I did see a little clip of him responding, basically saying like, you know, he's gonna address what Coach Saban said. You know, basically it was a lie. And I also seen a tweet by Travis Hunter, basically saying, "How I got a million dollars, but you know, my mom and them are still living in the same house with my siblings and stuff like that." So I can basically, you know, I can understand it. I mean, I think he might have just been upset, you know, probably in the heat of the moment, and probably you know, said some things that he probably shouldn't have said. Now he came out and you know apologized, but Dion. Apologize. I think he just apologized to Deion Sanders, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think he really apologized to Jimbo Fisher. But, yeah, I just think, um, well, Dion basically said he wants a public apology. You know, I think it was a tweet or something he sent out basically saying, like, how you going? I'm paraphrasing this, by the way. I think he was basically saying, how you going, you know, call me out in public, but try and, you know, apologize to me in private and stuff like that. So I think, you know, Dion is 
you know, wanting a public apology, basically, you know, Coach saying on national television, basically just saying he apologized to, you know, Dion and Jason State, and basically saying how they're a good program and how they're building up because, you know, Dion Sanders probably could have been a coach anywhere in the league, man. Anywhere in the anywhere in the NCAA, like any college. I wouldn't say any college. It's a few colleges, you know. I think Clemson and Alabama and Georgia and uh you know, certain schools, you know, they have their quarterback in place like Mario Christian Ball in Miami, like, you know, places like that, you know, that already have their coach basically set in stone and you know, their job is really not on the line or nothing like that. But, you know, for him to go to Jackson State at HBCU and, you know, try and just, you know, help the kids back there, it's a wonderful thing. Now, do I ever see Dion really moving up into, like, basically like a, a Power 5 school? I mean, maybe eventually. I think he still, you know, has some more stuff he wants to accomplish with Jackson State. You know, but he is turning the program around. You know, they're starting to get more attention. Well, yeah, they've been getting more attention since he became the coach. And, you know, that's just a wonderful thing to see, you know, especially the type of player that he was and, you know, passing on that knowledge to, you know, kids who really don't might not get the national exposure that the other power five schools get. It's really amazing, man. So shout out to him. Hope he keeps doing this thing, man. And uh, I definitely will be tuning into some Jackson state games. Now we're going to stay on the college football topic right now. Basically it's a couple games, you know, I went and looked at the schedule and of course, much is still to be determined about college football, being that the season is, is what about three months away, give or take. But um, just you know, I was just scrolling through the schedule, and you know, just a couple, you know, a couple matches that I've seen. Some schools, you know, not necessarily saying that they're gonna do big things this season, but you know how week ones are set up. Basically, you know, schools are just basically set up to well, mostly the power five schools are basically just set up. You know, to, I wouldn't necessarily say get reps in, but you know, they usually just play like. FCS opponents and stuff like that, and then and it usually ends up being like a blowout or something 49 to 0, 57 to 0, 35 to 0, you know, maybe 42 to 7 or something like that. 42 3. We know how the first week of college football goes, so, but it's a couple matchups that you know I was scrolling down the schedule and seeing, and they just caught my eye, you know. Now everybody knows the main one, basically Oregon versus uh, Oregon versus Georgia. Well, I'm an Oregon fan, but I live in Georgia, so I know if uh, Oregon loses this game, we'll never hear the end of it, basically. But you know, Bo Nix transferring from Auburn, you know, leading the dust against the national champs. I believe Stetson Bennett is coming back to be the quarterback of Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I haven't really checked into anything and seen really like the spring game or nothing like that. But to the best of my knowledge, I think Stetson Bennett is, you know. Coming back and trying to basically like repeat. Now we're gonna see how the Ducks do. Um, I forgot who their coach was, but I know Mario Cristobal left and went to his alma mater in Miami, and a lot of players transferred and went there with him. So it's definitely gonna be interesting to see, you know, what the Ducks look like, being that you know, all the recruits and a lot of recruits switched and you know went under places, but you know, some players have transferred to Oregon and other players still have committed, and you know. But, yeah, Mario Cristobal moving and going to Miami. I didn't really know that was his alma mater, but at the same time, that is like a big hit for Oregon, in my opinion. He was definitely doing some good things out there. I think they were in three straight Pac-12 championship games. I know they was in at least two, but it may have been three. Three straight national – I mean, not national, but Pac-12 championship games. Now, they didn't win all of them. I, I know last year they lost to Utah. Definitely, you know – like I said, I am a fan, and it was kind of really disappointing to see how we beat Ohio State in the beginning of the season. 
but turn around and you know once we play utah and stanford and, and you know teams like that we always just like i was we just don't bring our a game now it's a it's a possibility you know stanford and you know utah could just have our number because you know those are also you know very slipped on programs and you know colorado does their thing from time to time you also got arizona and arizona state so and you know oregon state they don't really they don't really i wouldn't say they don't really be in the mix of it but at the same time you know they still it's a lot of seasons where they're both eligible and, you know i really don't i wouldn't sleep on any team that you still have you know both of the washington teams as well so Oregon, we definitely going to see what they're doing this season. All right, so another game that I picked, Florida State versus LSU. Like I said, basically, I'm just going by names. Um, definitely see uh, ACC versus SEC matchup. That's always pretty good. Let's see. We're going to see how that goes. And then we got Penn State versus Purdue. You know, Purdue, the top 25 hasn't come out yet, so I don't know where the teams are ranked at currently. But, you know, Purdue is usually always a team in the, you know, in the Big Ten where, you know, they usually knock off a, a top-seeded team. They always have, like, a Cinderella game. Like, they might they might be, like, five and six on the season or something like that. Then, like, the last game of the season or something, they'll, they'll take it down to, like, the number two or number three team in the, in the whole nation. They ended up being in like their division, like Ohio State or Michigan, Michigan State, something of that nature. But you know, Purdue always comes to play within their division. All division games are really, really tough. You know, regardless of what you may think, even like it probably, I would say it's probably hard to beat. Some teams you probably would, you would expect to run over, but at the same time, it's college football. You never know what might happen. Sorry, another game we're going to talk about is Ohio State versus Notre Dame. Basically, you know, just to see where the Buckeyes at at the beginning of the season. Notre Dame, you know, has also been a good college. Well, has been also been like a decent college for the last five years, to the best of my knowledge. I I, I know they least been eligible, bowl eligible for the last two, three seasons and stuff like that. So it's going to be really interesting to see how them two teams play. Then I got a couple possible games where, you know, like it ain't really two game too many games on the slate that you might want to turn into, but I got two maybe games. You know, it's a possibility it could be some good games. Got Arkansas versus Cincinnati. You know, Desmond Ritter's been drafted, so we're gonna see who the backup is and see if he can step up into the role and see if they can, you know, basically come behind. I ain't gonna say come behind him and do what he did, but you know, leave their own mark and their own legacy per se. You know, on college and stuff like that. Cincinnati's always been like. They're, they're always been like a good school that, in my opinion, that really didn't get a lot of recognition. It was a couple years, you know. Um, they was, what, possibly eight, maybe nine and oh, and, you know, they was ranked like 10th or something like that. Then again, oh, what conference are they in? Give me a second. What conference are they in? I want to say it's like a not the Big East. It's like the A AAC or something like that. Yeah, the AAC. That's what that's what conference they're in. But yeah, they're saying basically like the conference. You know, it's not really like a strong conference, even though they usually win their conference. The, you know, Arkansas is always like a sleeper team in the SEC. You know, is one of them teams. They're usually one of them teams. I wouldn't say they'll they'll be in a running for the SEC championship, but it definitely usually be bowl eligible. And then another game that I have is Florida versus Utah. Utah, you know, they usually turn it up at the, you know, end of the season. Like I said, when they gear up to play Oregon and stuff like that, they really, you know, 
I think that could be like a, a new rivalry game basically within the Pac-10. And then, you know, Florida. Florida is always a team where you just you just prepare for it, man. You basically prepare for it. You always prepare for Florida. Any SEC team, you know, you're going to get that type of exposure, exposure regardless of what team it is. I think basically the only team I probably don't see a lot of non-conference teams line up to play maybe – like Vanderbilt or something like that, but even the, they still get some games like that. But yeah, that was a couple of college games basically I wanted to look out for and you know touch on and you know possibility of you know. Yeah, so we're gonna um move right on to we're gonna move on to the draft lottery, NBA draft lottery. So all right, draft lottery happened last week. Basically the magic Magic ended up getting the overall first number one overall pick, and then the Thunder got the second pick. Then Houston got the third pick. Sacramento has the fourth. Detroit has the fifth. Indiana has the sixth pick. Portland has the seventh. New Orleans with the eighth pick. San Antonio with the ninth. Washington with tenth. New York Knicks with the eleventh pick. Oklahoma City Thunder with the twelfth pick. Charlotte with the thirteenth, and Cleveland with the fourteenth pick. So, all right, man, the Thunder, you know, they got a couple picks in the first round. Well, not really a couple. They really have three total, the second pick, the 12th pick, and the 30th pick. Um, Basically, you know, coming off this, the Russell Westbrook trade and the CP3 trade and the Paul George trade, you know, they have a lot of picks over the next couple seasons. So, it's really going to be, it's really going to be, you know, interesting to see what the Thunder do over the long haul. Now, a lot of people saying, a lot of people are projecting, you know, Paolo to go second overall to the Thunder, you know, being that, you know, Chet might – everybody basically saying Chet Holgram is going to go number one overall. Well, I mean, I didn't really watch college basketball too much this season. I did tune in a lot. I didn't get 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 to really see Chet Holgram play like that. But um, I did look into his highlights, and, you know, he does if he has, like, a good shot, stuff like that. But, you know, everybody's saying basically, you know, he's going to have to put some weight on, which is – Pretty much, you know, he's going to have to put some weight on. Seven-footer, you know, it's saying he could be the next KD. A lot of people saying they, you know, see Porzingis in him. Um, I'm not going to really say he plays like any current NBA player like that. I think he has a chance to be his own type of player, basically. But he's just definitely going to have to bulk up. And, you know, basically when he get his chance, he's going to have to sit back, learn. You're gonna have I want if you want him to develop properly, you know, you're gonna have to let him make mistakes, but at the same time, you need a, a good veteran, you know, somebody to really like teach him the game like that. So if you can get some good guidance, good leadership, excuse me, but you know, good guidance, I really think he can become a good player, man. Good player. But you know, they're saying basically like Paolo going check Hogan going number one to the magic. Then everybody's thinking like Paolo is gonna go basically to the Thunder, and then they everybody thinks Houston's gonna take Jabari Smith. I mean, I can understand that happening. I mean, I really don't see any players really, like, jumping in front of them at this point in time. Maybe as we get closer to the draft, you know, there's always usually, like, a, a sleeper. It's usually, like, a sleeper a sleeper pick, you know, somebody who basically, like, shoots up the draft board and stuff like that. But we'll basically see how that goes, and we'll, we'll figure it out. Now, I definitely will be covering the draft. I will be also live tweeting. So, y'all go ahead and make sure y'all follow me on Twitter at dolo underscore j4 also in this on instagram at underscore dolo j y'all y'all follow me man you know hit me up and you know if you want to talk about sports man just hit me up you know shoot me a quick little thing you know 
how you felt about the episode and stuff like that, man. Or if you have like a, a opinion or something on the current sport, on the current basketball or football matter, man, don't be afraid to hit me up, man, for sure. But yeah, back to the podcast. So now we're going to basically talk about the NBA playoffs and what has transpired so far within the conference finals. Now, last week, last Sunday, you know, the Suns and the Mavericks played a game seven. Also, the Bucks and the Celtics, you know, played game seven. And the Mavericks and the Celtics end up moving on. But, you know, both teams that played their game seven basically got blown out in game one, which I, I can understand that, you know, just being tired and, you know, having to spend all your energy in a go, winner-go-home situation. Definitely, definitely can see how you may be able to come out flat-footed and, you know, may not be able to bring it all game one. But, you know, the Heat beat the Celtics 118-107, to 107, 41 points for Jimmy Butler. You know, yeah, 41 points from Jimmy Butler. And, you know, the Heat basically went on like a 22. The two runners start off the third quarter, basically stifling like the Celtics defense. They The Celtics were up if my – if I'm not mistaken, yeah, the Celtics were up, and then, you know, it just – because I think Tatum had, what, 21 in the first quarter. He ended up with, like, 29 points to, for the whole entire game, basically. But, yeah, that 22-2 to two run that they went on in the third quarter really just, like, opened up the game and exploded. Basically, it's like they couldn't do nothing with Jimmy Butler, you know, Al Horford being out and Marcus Smart being out, basically, you know. It made it real tough on the Celtics defense. Not to say that the players that, you know, came in didn't really do their thing. You know, Neesmith, he got him like a good three blocks. Payne Pritchard got him some points off the bench. I mean, well, yeah, points. You know, basically, you know, just finding his groove and stuff like that. He's a young player. You know, he doesn't really have too much playoff experience, but, you know, he's just getting his foot and stuff like that. But the Heat, that was just too much for the Celtics in game one. But in game two, they came back and won. 127 to 107 behind 27 points from Jalen Tatum. Now, Butler did have 29 points, but the Celtics, they was just hitting the three ball. You know, went nine from 11 in the first quarter. Basically, basically it started around, I don't know, I want to say, was it like a five-minute mark, maybe the seven-minute mark, somewhere in there. You know, they was down basically like 18-8, and then they just start firing. Like, they just start firing. Like, they, they just couldn't miss. Marcus Smart had 21 points. Al Horford was basically doing this thing, you know, Marcus Smart was drawing charges and stuff like that, you know, running the offense. And it was just hard for the, you know, the Celtics to do their thing. You know, Kyle Lowry was out, but he ended up coming back in game three. Now, I believe, I don't know when Jimmy Butler left game three with um, knee inflammation, but I know the Heat, they were up by a large margin. Now, the Celtics came back and made it a game, but ultimately, you know, the turnovers, man, they just had way too many turnovers. And, bam, he did his thing. You know, once Jimmy, you know, was out, he came, you know, and stepped up, basically. He had 31 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists. I think he had four steals, and I think he may have had, like, two or three blocks as well. And then, you know, the Heat only had eight turnovers. Boston had 23. Jalen Brown had seven turnovers, and Tatum had six turnovers. Now, Brown, he did score 40 points. Yeah. Yeah, Brown, he did score 40 points, but, you know, Seven turnovers, man. That's gonna that's gonna that's, that always hurts your team. Turnovers is you know it's one of the things like you can shoot well, but that still will ultimately lose you the game because that's less possessions that you have. So you know that's less shots that you make make or miss, you know. You still always want to have more possessions, regardless of you know whatever it is, football, basketball, whatever sport may be, you like you always want to have more chances to score than your opponent. And the fact that you gave away the ball 23 times, 
you know, it really, it, it, it hurts. And it really makes it that you have to be more fit, more efficient, and you have to try and get more stops. Now, if you turn the ball over and you're making the other team turn the ball over, then, you know, that's fine, around equal. But the, the Heat ended up with, what, 19 steals? I've never heard of a team getting, like, 19 steals. Like, that was crazy, man. Like, they were playing some really stifling defense. And then, you know, just to, to keep their foot on their necks, basically, like, every time the Celtics got close, the Heat, they just basically, like, bam, did his thing. Just basically went and got a bucket. Kyle Lowry was also doing his thing. Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, you know, he was stroking the three-ball two in the fourth quarter. Like, the Celtics would make a little run and probably be, like, a seven-point run, eight-point run. The Struess come down, hit a three, you know, basically, like, calm everybody down and stuff like that. And then also, like, he hasn't really been known as a defender, but he really has been trying on defense, really bought into what the Heat have going on. And it's really, you know, lovely to see. Now, we're, tonight we're going to see if, if Boston, you know, steps back up and evens the series at two. Um, I'm really expecting Jason Tatum to have 30 points at least coming off a 10-point performance. Now, I don't really know if Jalen Brown is going to have another 40-point game. I could definitely see him scoring 25. I also see Al Horford stepping up a little bit. Marcus Smart is going to be Marcus Smart, basically. You know, he's going to play defense. If he has an open corner three ball, he's basically going to shoot it. I know he's going to shoot it. So, now it's just all about – basically making your shots and them not turning the ball over. If they have 23 turnovers again, I don't see the Celtics winning, man. Especially if the Heat only have eight for the whole game. Eight for the whole game. That's a 15 – that's plus 15 in turnovers. Like, And then they were getting points off turnovers. I know they at least got 30 points off turnovers. So if the Celtics can cut down on the turnovers and, you know, get into their offensive sets and, you know, basically, you know, ball movement – and come down and just play the defense that we're accustomed to seeing from them, then I could think they could bounce back, basically, and, you know, make this a series. So now we're going to go to the Western Conference Finals. Basically, game one was just uh, the Warriors doing their thing, you know, 112. The, it was 112 to 87. Curry had 21 points. Luka had 20 points. You know, Dallas Mavericks really did, wasn't making their shots. I think they went 11 to 48 from the three-point line. Shooting 48 threes. I know Jason Kidd, I think it was the third quarter. It was like the interview before the fourth quarter, basically saying, or it might have been after halftime, but basically saying, you know, sometimes they have been settling for the three instead of, you know, driving the ball and trying to get to the rim, trying to draw some fouls, especially being that Golden State is a smaller team. But, you know, the Mavericks have basically had success, basically in the last series with Phoenix. Um, Playing five out, they also had success with that doing with the Jazz being that they were playing uh, traditional bigs, DeAndre Aiden and Rudy Gobert. And Looney is like kind of basically like a traditional big as well, but at the same time, Looney, I don't know, he's just when he, he's just been scoring like offensive rebound after offensive rebound after offensive rebound, especially in key moments. Then he might kick it to Steph or kick it to Clay or kick it to Poole. And then, you know, they might hit their shots and or they might kick it to Draymond and Draymond might hit Steph on the back door or Clay on the back door or Poole on the back door. Like, it's just their ball movement, man. And then in the second game, I believe he ended up scoring, what, 20, 20? He ended up scoring, like, 20-plus points in the second game, which was another win by Golden State, 126-117. to 117. The Mavericks were really up. They were really up in this series, man. Like, Curry had 32 points. Luka had 42 points. Poole had 23. Brunson had 31. You know, up 14 at the half. You basically you have to close, but only scoring what? I think they only had 13 points in the third quarter. You can't do that in a playoff game, man. 
you can't only have 13 points, especially against a team with experience like the Warriors. You know, they're basically, you know, starting to come back into their own, being that everybody is back, you know, Clay, Dre, and Steph, everybody's, you know, is healthy. And then, you know, the emergence of Poole, they still have Looney. You know, it's, they have Iggy too as well. You know, Draymond's still doing his thing. But, you know, they have Iggy to – I wouldn't necessarily say be like a, a another coach or something like that, but you know, Iggy know what's going on basically with the team and you know, basically being on the bench and stuff like that, being able to communicate, you know, guys who've been here before, stuff like that. But also, I know Draymond and Steph probably does that on the floor as the as the course of the game goes on as well. You know, just basically encouraging everybody and everybody know. But Clay already know the type of player that he is and the type of player that he used to be. So. At the same time, I don't think it's necessarily them having to say it to each other. They might have to remind each other every now and again, you know, being that they do turn the ball over a little bit too much. But at the same time, each one of them, each one of the three know who they are individually and they know what they can do collectively as well. So, and then, you know, the third game was a 109-100 victory by Golden State again. I really thought the Mavericks were going to at least get this game, but... Curry and it was just too much. Curry had 31 points and 11 assists, and Luka had 40 points again and 11 rebounds. I mean, Luka's just – he just need help, man, basically. He, he needs help. He needs some help. Like, I'm not saying Brunson and Dinwiddie are not, you know, capable players, but he needs, like, another a second star with him, basically. Somebody like a Dame Lillard. I wouldn't necessarily say like a Dame Lillard or Bradley Beal, but, you know, just somebody of their caliber, you know, just to help them out and, you know, also go get a bucket for them. Now, also, you know, Jason Kidd always also said basically like he he's going to start running Luka off the ball more, and I know they've been letting Dinwiddie bring the ball up and Brunson bring the ball up. And I'm not saying they're not good NBA players. I really think Jalen Brunson, the way he's been playing this postseason, he's if he doesn't, you know, sign back with the Mavericks, then he's definitely going to go get him a bag somewhere for sure. He's definitely going to get paid to get a high-value contract, which is well-deserved because, you know, he's been balling out for most of the series. Now, some games, you know, it might he might not crack 20 points, and, you know, as your second-best player, you kind of want your second-best player to always at least have 20 points or, you know, be a big factor. Now, he does take charges and stuff as well, so I also can see how that may impact this game. But Luka just – in my opinion, he just needs a second star. If he gets him a second star, then he'll be all right. But, all right, we're going to close the episode out on something that I did a couple episodes back, but, you know, I'm bringing it back basically to player of the week. And my player of the week basically for, like, this week of the conference finals is definitely Steph Curry. He's been averaging 28 points a game, 6.6 assists, and 8.3 rebounds. Basically, you know, everybody knows Steph has been in the shooting slump. I don't know. I don't want to necessarily say it's the matchup against the Mavericks, but, you know, basically as, you know, as he's been coming back from, I think he had a sprained foot when he ended up rolling his ankle towards the end of the season. But he's just been getting back in the form, you know, basically the first round coming off the bench, letting pool start, still finding his rhythm, still doing his thing. And then, you know, the second round, basically it wasn't really like every game Steph was doing his thing, but like towards the end game four, game five, game six, you know, you start seeing Steph come out, but also Poole is still doing his thing too. And, you know, basically I want to say they're interchangeable because, you know, basically, you know, Curry is a former MVP and he means so much to what go to state, you know, you know, the game plan to win the championship and also, you know, the type of culture they have. So, him starting, him being a, a, a terrific leader, like everybody says, Steph is like a good leader. But 
you know, basically him just coming back to form. He's definitely earned player of the week, in my opinion. Now, you might – a lot of people could say Jimmy Butler, and he's deserving as well, you know, especially what he's been doing for his team, putting his team on his back. But I'm going to go with Steph Curry this week, man. So this has been Kicking the Dolo, man. Y'all make sure y'all catch me on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Appreciate y'all for listening. Go ahead and stream other episodes. And until next time, peace out. Clap the room, I'm coming through. They wanna see what I'm about. Yeah, I got skills, do it for the thrill. I'm on a paper route. Extra, extra, read about it. I'm today's trying to tap it. 